Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our brand new podcast. Today, we are doing part two of The Batman. Uh, We will be talking about the plot, production, and music of the overall movie. So, um, as always, I am your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Sheree. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. want to jump into talking about the overall plot of the movie and some of the dynamic choices done for this production. So, um, Cherie, yes, I wanted to ask you a question just to get your impression um, about the overall plot and feel. When watching this and afterwards, how did you specifically feel this was different from other Batman productions? You can stick to specifically movies if you want to, but just Batman in general, how did this one really differ for you, especially as a first-time viewer? I know we talked about it in the first episode, but I can't unthink the idea that it's a niche film. It doesn't play like your typical superhero film because it's more about, for me, it's more about the characters and how they contribute to the the story as like I feel like they all bring a heavy feeling to the story and they all bring a special moment and part in the story where I feel like in other films let's go with the Dark Knight mm-hmm. love the, like love the Joker was such a prominent I feel like he was the biggest part of that film and it's still the character mm-hmm. we talk about most out of that franchise is yes. the Joker whereas I think in this film you could call on any character and be like they they had a great moment. This person had a great moment. That's true. I feel like every character was a real powerhouse in this film, where I feel mm-hmm. like in others that may not always have been the case. Yes. Do would you attribute that to overall writing or casting both. or a mix of both? Honestly, casting more than writing. The writing was great. Mm-hmm. I love the writing because it's it's not I think we again we talked about this where I went into the film, I was like, three hours. <laughs> You're like, really? You gonna make me watch all three hours of this? Yes, I am. I'm like, is DC at it again with these long, very <laughs> overarching films? Oh, I don't know. They are at it again. But I liked the way this was written, especially how Batman was written. As we talked about, more mm-hmm. of a detective, more trying to figure things out. It's not about it, it it's like we talked about it. it's him figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But that's the big part is it's everyone's trying to figure it out. Yes. Everyone's trying. It's not just someone else. It's not just Batman trying to figure out the story. Everyone's putting the pieces together. It's not yes. just Batman's story. It really, I feel like it really did embody that that old school mystique of like the hard-boiled detective movie. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it really was. It was like constantly raining in the background. There was moody music. Like they might as well have put him it's in black and white. It's dark the whole time. It really is. It's, it's dark, dark the whole time. It's dark until the very end of the film. Now, and so you called it a niche film. Can you, like, what can you expound on that? What do you mean by niche film? It's not your typical Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's something I would. It's something you would nominate at the Oscars. It's yes. not like your typical, oh, I'm going to go see this comedy film. Yes. I'm, gonna go see I'm just going to go watch this for entertainment factor. Right. Like, it is not exactly, though it is definitely rewatchable and its rewatchability level is great, but it's not a background movie mm-hmm. by any it's means. It's one you I'm, absolutely have to focus on. Exactly. I am not going to put this movie on in the background while I'm cleaning because I'm going to wind up it's sitting down and watching it. It's one that expounds upon many more subtleties and symbolism and things like that where, obviously, I love Marvel and I'm never going to like... <clears throat> we yes. all We both love Marvel. Yep. Marvel's entertainment. A lot of the time, Marvel is entertainment. But well done entertainment. Well done entertainment. Whereas Batman, I think, is definitely more of a people who really are like cinephiles are gonna love Batman. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not. You don't have to love this film and be a comic book fan. True. Yes. So you can definitely see this film and enjoy it as a standalone film. Mm-hmm. As a standalone, I feel like that's very important. You do not have to have any external knowledge of the Batman slash DC universe to be able to watch this film. Right. It it really, I think we mentioned it before, where um, 
it's kind of its own story that takes place exclusively within the framework or the lens of a superhero movie. We could have had this exact same plot line and had it just been any regular old detective movie. Right. This could have been something akin to just a fictionalized Zodiac. And I honestly think that's part of why it feels so niche is because, like you said, this could be a black and white film. Yes. Mm-hmm. This film feels like it's for, again, not not exactly comic book fans. No, it was like a hard-boiled detective movie. Right. Like, you could have taken this film and something else that really um, exemplifies good writing is you could take this film and you could drop it in any decade. You could put this film at any point in time, change a couple of the elements to pinpoint what point you're at in time, and it would still work. Mm-hmm. You could drop this movie into the 20s, and it would still 100% work. You'd have to change some tech elements, obviously, but the plot line and the feel is still there. So you hey, could put it Batman, in the future. What you doing over there? <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> That's what we do when we throw it in the 20s. Oh, uh, that's all we do when we're in the 20s. That's all people say was, yeah, see? <laughs> Come over here. Let me show you something. One of my sunlight. <laughs> you wanna buy a sundial? No, thanks. We're we're good. We're good over here. Cue Danny DeVito. Um so which talking about this movie not exactly belonging in any one point in time. That was something that I wanted to bring up about the overall plot of the movie and trying to pinpoint this in the Batman universe because we've had several iterations of the Batman character. Um we've had, you know, Christopher Nolan's version. We literally have two Batmans we, right now. We literally have two current Technically, Batmans. We have three after after watching the was it the Flash trailer? Okay, you're gonna have to help me. Have you not seen the Flash? I saw the I haven't seen the Flash, but I they saw the brought Flash trailer. Back, um what Michael Keaton? Did they really? Let me look this up real fast. Michael Keaton. My favorite Batman. Oh my goodness. Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck is supposed to be in it as Batman also. Um, what were we talking about? I don't know. We might have to scrap it. We we, we were coming to. out of talking about sundials. <laughs> we were we were talking about um what era this movie takes place in. And we were oh yes, okay. So we were talking about um trying to figure out if this falls into a linear batman timeline like is is this like the young version of the ben affleck batman what are we seeing here um because obviously christopher nolan's batman stands alone like you see him decide to become batman Mm -hmm. as an adult Mm -hmm. um this is obviously a significantly younger version of batman so you're wondering like where does this fall is it by itself what time period does this take place in um because obviously the batman comics having been around as long as they have um, you see, we've seen Batman, the character in several different decades. And I felt like that was something they managed to do in this movie was give us both an old and a new feel. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have the scene in, um, in the church at the funeral, um, and they have the DA with a regular old cell phone capable of FaceTime strapped to his hand. Right. However, um, Bruce Wayne rolls up in a fantastic old Stingray. Mm -hmm. Like, boy, would I love to have that car. It was glossy and sleek and perfect. (laughs) And so so you're going, okay, well, what time period is this in? Because he just rolled up in a super retro car. Is it supposed to just be like, oh, he just has a retro car? Because then later we see like a cell phone. Um, But there were also some other elements of that when you see um, his very early bat cave mm-hmm. um he's using some really retro technology mm-hmm. um he's using fax machines and has some very early primitive technology it's not a matter of not having the funding for more advanced technology because obviously he's bruce wayne he has the wayne fortune to his name mm-hmm. so it's not that um and really i think that ultimately it's supposed to be the movie is not supposed to take place in one specific time period it's supposed to be kind of out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, especially if you look at his mansion, it's all gothic. Yes, it is so the gothic. gothic style is so cool, but it's not, 
But then you see the stadium or the, yeah, the stadium where mm-hmm. they have the elections. Arena. Like that looks like any stadium you have right now. Yes. It looks like any sort of convention center, any kind of big stadium or arena. Yes. It looked very modern. But you're also mixing these many walks of life mm-hmm. in this film as well. So it kind of makes sense to have new, old and things that don't quite, again, things that don't quite go together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I liked that because then you don't, I liked the decision to not necessarily plant it in any one specific point in time, especially along any known Batman timeline, um, because then you don't limit yourself. That we know of. That you know of. That we Correct. know of a specific timeline. This could, very, this could very well be a specific iteration of Batman. However, I don't think the movie makes any overt references to a specific iteration of Batman, um, to a specific Batman timeline. Um and again, I think it then opens up that possibility. It maintains the the Batman persona as more of a lens for mm-hmm. this very well written detective story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was it was a great choice to not be able to quite place that because I do remember as a first time viewer that was something I thought because I started seeing these old ret- some of these retro elements, his technology. Um, later, Alfred when he answers the phone. Um, he answers just like an old school. I want to well, say it was a rotary of, phone. There's lots of juxtapositions of old and new in this film. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Because yes. he has his old tech with his new tech. And something that I told myself I wasn't going to talk about, but apparently I am, is the car. The Batmobile. You really weren't going to talk I about it. I wasn't going to talk about it. Because you love cars. I do. I absolutely love cars. I'm a bit of a gearhead. Um, I grew up around my dad, who is a major gearhead and does desperately love cars, especially um old muscle cars um we're we're a mustang family here for sure um so i but here's the thing i'm not a complete gearhead i'm not a total pro and i don't i'm i don't want to get too deep and say something that's incorrect and have somebody be like that's not right <laughs> <Dare> you, <laughs> which is inevitably going to happen so I'm, i apologize right off the bat if i say something incorrect just appreciate the fact that i know anything about cars in the first place and just hold me to that standard but the yes so the car um they did not go with some you know big mean futuristic thing like we saw in the christopher nolan batman i do love that um movie. A fantastic car. I mean, I really the loved. I loved all of the angular yet sleekness that you got with all of the the power of Wayne Enterprises behind mm-hmm. building these vehicles. Great idea. Um, with this, obviously, Batman is still younger, so he has to go with whatever he's got on hand. Um, this one again, not really grounding Batman in one particular time frame or decade. Um, this Batmobile is. Um, a late 60s model Charger, um, which is a, a very interesting choice. Obviously, it harkens back to like the original 60s Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't 100% place what year this Charger is because I do know that they had to like chop the whole top off of it and right. rebuild it for how they were going to make it. Um, because Matt Reeves... In the film. In the film, correct, yes. Um, because Matt Reeves did want to make this thing look like... He said he wanted it to be kind of a horror in and of itself for the audience, which I mean... Especially for the scene they use. The, I the mean. The end of the scene. So... Excellent choice as far as not really grounding the film in one particular time because there's there I think there's enough modern technology that the argument could be made that it does take place in some kind of modern time because there are some things that you can't explain away into the past like cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, you just can't explain those kinds of things away. Not not everything fits in the same time frame, but uh, I think that there is an argument to be made that there is enough modern technology that you could say that this takes place in some sort of modern-ish era because as I said you can't there there are certain things you can't explain away like cell phones you can't explain those back into the past so I think picking a picking any more recent car to uh, portray this iteration of the Batmobile, I think would have wound up grounding the movie in much more of a I think modern it would have taken day. I think so. I think it would have just very firmly grounded it in modern day. We would have felt like we were just maybe kind of watching like a just a different version of like the Christopher Nolan Batman. Um, I don't even know if it's that. I think it just would have taken away from the mystique of the film. The mystique of the film. Yeah, but because the the 
when he gets in the car, we have so many wide shots of the Batmobile that it really is its own menacing character, especially thing goes through the fire, especially the fire shots. The I scene. mean, and can we talk about it's correct me if I'm wrong here. That is not CGI fire. They went with real effects for that. Did they not? Practical effects. Practical effects. Matt Reeves did say they really did jump the Batmobile through fire. Which, like, if this movie was already, like, a 10 out of 10 for me. Imagine, I mean, again, put your put yourself in Penguin's shoes. You're just like, ha, beat him. Mm-hmm. It really is horrifying. It is. It's horrifying. If I saw that as a normal person, not even Penguin, not even being chased. If I saw that little bat car coming through fire, nope. Done. Armageddon. Pull over. Armageddon. Arrest me now. I was like, I'm not running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just, you know, I'm not. That's I don't it. Need that. I don't Game need that. over. And you know what? I think from from a production standpoint, that makes me appreciate that whole scene even more. Can I just say, practical effects are sexy. Practical effects are <laughs> sexy. Put like, that on a t-shirt. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. Like, they, I have such an appreciation for practical effects, and we can we will definitely talk about this until we're blue in the face on any movie that chooses to do practical effects. There is an element of realness that it doesn't matter what your software is. There's something in the human brain that can always tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Voldemort and Dumbledore shooting streams of light at each other, Ka-pew! even though I can Ka-pew! appreciate the the fantasticness and the intricacy of that software to create that look and the lighting. The scene is beautiful. To have the reflections come back on all of that reflective brick in the ministry on their glasses. Their fight is the best scene in the franchise. There is an artistry to the rendering of that scene and it is beautiful. The sound effects for that scene give me goosebumps every mm-hmm. time. Every time. Because how do you, you Wait, we gotta to stop. Hold on, we gotta stop. Why? Harry Potter is coming later. I know. We will do, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of you who are listening, we will do Harry Potter. Especially that fifth one. We got a lot to talk about. We have a lot to talk about. I promise you. Can we say just like once we get like, let's give ourselves a number. Once we get like X many followers or X many listeners. I don't care how many followers we have. <laughs> if we hit 50 followers, we're talking about we're Harry, doing Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> we get three followers. We already got that. I guess we're doing Harry Potter. I guess we're doing Harry Potter. So it will happen. So I don't want to waste too much time talking about it. But talking about even a, a scene that's so elegantly crafted like that, you look With at lots it. lots of with lots of special effects and it's and it's done so well Mm -hmm. like kudos to those renderers but you can still look at that and your brain there's something in your brain something in your eyes that still knows like obviously that's not real it's not real but it doesn't take away from the film because you're like i'm expecting magic true yes there's there's an expectation there for sure one thing if batman just started sprouting lasers from his hands "Mm." i'm here for laser batman (laughs) (laughs) so so there's there's something to be said for choosing to do practical effects, especially when, like, I don't know, jumping a car through fire, CG would definitely be safer. Sexy. It would be, <laughs> CG would be safer. But, I mean, there is, there is then an element of realness and grittiness and, and terror and, and meanness to that that you can't fake. You know, you like there is there is just a certain natural way that flames part around a vehicle when it comes soaring through them to catch the bad and guy. It, again, I know we talk about sound effects, but it sounds heavy. It does. You see, like that's gonna hurt. You it yes. Well, I mean, and the car is heavy. Mm-hmm. That engine is enormous. It's a V eight engine. I think that thing has like six hundred and fifty horsepower. Uh, there's something I would I would have to look up the term again, but it's something about how it's like coil to pedal. Um, or something. It's the way that the, the engine is made up that essentially when you hit the gas, there is no, there is nothing in between your spark plugs and how much acceleration you're actually getting out mm. of the engine. So it is like the second you hit it, you're just going to shoot forward more than just any other regular street car would. So yes, talking about things that don't put it in one particular time period. Let's, let's jump on that production train since we're already kind of in that vein. Um, what were some of your favorite production elements? Sound design. Sound design. You knew I was going to say sound. I knew you You were going to say sound design. Sound and lighting. Mm, Yes, yes, I do. Okay, so let's see. 
talking about sound design. I'll start. Um, I know where I want to start. Wait, the beginning. The I, th- <laughs> I was going to start at the beginning anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I, I do want to say something because as an amateur, but somebody who, from a writing perspective, can appreciate good sound design when I hear it, though I know nothing about the actual production of it. Um, tedious. <laughs> Let me tell you. Vertical screens, baby. Tedious. <laughs> tedious. So I, I just want to go and jump in and, and say one of the first things that I noticed and really appreciated about the sound design of this movie right off the bat was the fight scene. <laughs> the fight scene. Uh. We get our introduction to Bats and we're... we're being taunted by which which criminal is he going to go after? What what dark corner is Bat's going to come out of? And it turns out to be the subway, which nod to Batman Beyond, by the way, oh, really? which I really appreciated was the uh, gang members in Joker paint. Mm-hmm. Again, not putting this in any one particular time period because, as we know, Batman Beyond comes way after. That is Batman's prodigy after he has decided to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is an, an element that appears in Batman Beyond and in those Batman Beyond comics is, you know, after the initial Joker, a lot of the um, city's gangs kind of take up the mantle and they they spray paint, not spray paint, but they paint their faces with Joker makeup and they're, mm-hmm. they're like Joker gangs right. that run the streets. Right. Um, so... Again, both not putting it in one particular time period, but also a nod to other Batman content, mm-hmm. which, calling it right now, we need a Batman Beyond movie. That'd be cool. But I just, I, we need a Batman Beyond movie. It's time. We've done Batman to death. Like, officially, like, you can't outdo Batman after this movie. <laughs> we need a Batman Beyond movie. Because I love Terry McGinnis. Terry McGinnis is my boy. I, I mean, again, I mean, I'll take any iteration. <laughs> I will always, I will always watch the Batman. I'll okay, watch. I just like I'll always watch Spider Man. I just this was done so well. It gave me hope that we could have a Batman Beyond movie and have it be done really, really well. Because it has the Batman. Batman Beyond has a very similar feel to this. It's, Honestly, it's dark and grungy. If I'm being honest, it'd be really cool to just have standalone Batman films. I would love that. Just like here, we have this Batman and this just drop the Batman. you into this iteration of Batman mm-hmm. into and this time frame. A couple years later, we have Batman Beyond. We could have its own Batman. Thing. We could have future Batman. We could have modern day Batman. I love it. Are we going into the Batman verse? The Batman, the Batverse. <laughs> <laughs> we got the Batmobile and the Batverse. Um, but back on back on sound design. Um, I remember watching this movie with you and watching it with you for the first time, and and both desperately appreciating this. The fight scene the in the first subway. first time I saw it, goosebumps. Goosebumps. Right? And I was, because it's like, you don't see Batman. You hear Batman first. <sighs> and the footsteps are, <sighs> they're heavy. They are heavy. You're like, they are that, steel that is booted. <laughs> menacing. It is. You are now picturing a monster before you see it. Yes. And it's like we've said, your imagination is way worse than whatever whatever you could mm-hmm. see. You're making up something much worse Absolutely. than what possibly is. Mm-hmm. And hearing his crunch and walk in, oh my God. Especially with the water surrounding those footsteps too and the spattering of the rain. No, that is he not, he's monologuing. <laughs> you caught me monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> but he's monologuing at the beginning too. And then he comes in mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of footsteps. It's so good. It's so good. And and immediately after that, the, the element that I really appreciated was the fight scene itself. Mm-hmm. Because as somebody who does have a little bit of background in martial arts training, one thing that I always notice about movies is these canned punch noises. Every time somebody punches somebody, like you hear bones cracking or you just hear like a noise every time a punch lands and while it definitely is cool for just effect value and can be used well i'm not saying it can't i have a note on this but continue okay so i'm not saying it can't be used well it definitely can but he was already so menacing of a character especially with what you're talking about about the sound design of just his intro coming out of the shadows that anticipation on the audience but also obviously on these characters because Mm -hmm. his character has been around they have started to learn to fear the batman so you're feeling their anticipation as well and then and then without the the canned fight noises Mm -hmm. it 
actually has the opposite effect where it doesn't cheapen it. That you it sounds heavy. It sounds heavy. And so every time Bats lands a blow, it really does just sound like it sounds bone crunching wet. almost. It sounds like wet armor really sinking into flesh. Mm-hmm. And not in not in a contrived kind of way. It sounds genuine and it makes that scene feel that much more real. Like, oh, He's really fighting these guys. He is really actually taking them and down. I think we discussed this as well. It doesn't feel nearly as choreographed as others do. No, it doesn't. And coming from, so my my martial arts instructor, um, can I name drop? Should I name drop? I wouldn't. Let's not name drop. Okay, so my, my martial arts instructor was one of the um, fight choreographers for the TV series Vikings. Um, that's cool. There were lots of fight choreographers, so I can just just drop, sprinkle him in there. So yes, my, my martial arts instructor was one of the fight choreographers for the TV show Vikings. Um, and that was specifically something that he talked about and trained us about, especially about how to get in and out of a real fight, Mm. um, is that real fights are not beautifully choreographed mm-hmm. where if you slow it down you can you can see and especially once you're watching for it you can't unsee it right. afterwards it's just one guy kind of waiting in the back hanging back for one to two seconds before he goes rushing in with his blow they're kind of like, moving around like, they're oh, kind man, of like I'm... dancing around a little bit there's a little bit too much time between punches right. and blocks I'm trying to get my bearings again <laughs> for 10 seconds yeah so there's there's a little bit of an element of choreography that it's most... not to say that this didn't have it wasn't a no, choreographic. It was, it was. It was definitely a choreographed fight scene. But it felt more real. It, didn't it did. Fe- it didn't. It just felt more real. It there didn't was, seem like there was as, as much time between hits. And my and my favorite thing about this, and and this played true to my concept of actual fight choreography, is that Bats took hits. Mm-hmm. During the fight. He really did. I think he takes a chest full of shotgun. Does he not? Or am I thinking of a later scene in the movie? I don't remember. I think he does take a couple of, not maybe not a shotgun, but he does take a couple of shots off of the armor. And that's when the first we see that his armor is bulletproof, or at least bullet deflective. Um, but anyway, going back, Bats takes a couple of hits during this fight. And that was also one of the really real things that my instructor talked to us about is, in a real fight, you are not going to get out clean. You will take a couple of hits, and they're going to hurt. So you need to be prepared to take a couple of hits that are going to hurt in your fight. And he totally does. And and it just added to that element of realness because, you know, in a real fight, it's just, it's not being so good that you're never going to get hit because that's impossible. Um, it's being good enough to decide which hits you're going to take and if you can take them and mm-hmm. keep fighting. And and this fight had all of those elements of realness for me. And it was just a great way to start off the movie. Mm-hmm. And And for people who were actually watching for that go, oh. Oh, this is not just going to be a cheesy superhero movie. There's there is an element of realness to this that we have not seen with other superhero movies that they're taking some time and intentionality for. I want to go back to a point you made earlier about yes. the how sound how a fight sounds in other films. I think mm-hmm. you used the word canny. I did. Yes, just canned. Canned. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I learned from my amazing sound design teacher in school mm-hmm. that again, this is why I liked the sound design and sound effects in this film so much because they sounded real. Mm-hmm. I learned in my classes that sometimes they up the sound, even mm-hmm. if it doesn't sound like it. Like, for instance, when we were editing sound, re-editing sound and putting sound back into the scene we were working on in class, he's like, up it. Mm-hmm. You need to put more power into these sounds because it's a big scene. You want it to sound powerful. Mm-hmm. So there was, I was sound designing the guns in mm-hmm. the scene. Person had a a pistol or something, nothing big. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I don't know anything about guns. You know about oh, guns. I was gonna say, oh, you're gonna. I'm gonna try not to be, no pun intended, triggered here by talking about guns and sound design because I do have some very very big pet peeves. What about kind of gun do do cops guns carry? And sound design. Generally, most police officers or law enforcement carry a Glock. Okay, he was holding a Glock. He okay. was holding a Glock. All right. <laughs> My teacher said, you need to put more oomph in that sound. Okay. I was like, but that's not, he's like, I don't care. Because <laughs> I don't care if that's the sound of the gun. You need to put more power behind it because that's the hero. The hero gets the big power shot. Sure. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And then, you know, it makes you think about, again, like you said, when a punch is impacting, you right. have that sound. It doesn't sound real. It doesn't sound real. Like, I'm going to punch my my arm right now. That's all you get. But it's a little heavier than the 
pa, you know, the like right. the kind of whoosh sound you get from a hit. Mm-hmm. But that's why when I I immediately got goosebumps upon the first time I heard that scene and watched that scene in Batman with the fight. It it's heavy. Mm-hmm. The punches land like you said. They it's it is armor to skin to bone. Yes. Yes, and and what I what I liked though was they I th- like they they took some time with the sound design of that, and they didn't just pick your standard punches landing in air quotes, mm-hmm. your standard punches landing noises. Mm-hmm. They had to be a little bit more creative than that because he is armored up, but his armor is a little bit different than other Batman armor that we have seen. And I feel like they really took time to layer those sounds and add them in so that they didn't just sound like canned Batman punches because mm-hmm. we've seen those mm-hmm. we've already seen those they didn't need to they didn't need to just reinvent the wheel and and do like say I'm, I'm, I want to say the Christopher Nolan ones because that's like the biggest armored Batman that I can think of although I know Sound that, design for those who um, look good too though who, I'm sorry I'm completely drawing a blank here who did the direction for the Ben Affleck Batman what is his name Zack Snyder Zack Snyder right okay so even, even that one had some really heavy armoring I really for... actually liked a lot of the kind of like sound design for Batman and his his fights as well. Right. They I mean they were good. They were good, but we've so his the... armor in that film was heav- mm. heavier than even like, like Tank Man, not Batman. Was... Tank Man. <laughs> <laughs> so but, but that's kind of my point, is we've already had a couple of Batman movies with some really heavy armoring and some really great sound design for all of those fight noises. Mm-hmm. And and so I really like Matt Reeves' decision not to just reinvent the wheel with a heavily armored Batman with these big, upped, hero, heavily layered punch sounds. Because we've it, heard that already. I think it also goes back to this didn't feel like your uh, any other Batman film. Correct. Yes. Just one other it was everything. Everything choice. about it was different, including sound. Exactly. Everything about it was different, including sound. And right from the off, too. It didn't waste any time telling us, like, oh, no, even the sound design is going to be different than this. We're not taking any, we're not cutting any corners mm-hmm. with this one. Everything was intentional. Everything was intentional. Something else, and I, r- I wrote this down, something else I wanted to talk about in the vein of sound design um, was something that I pointed out to you um, was when... Bruce comes back to the Batcave after being out. I think it's that first night after that fight scene. He does. Mm-hmm. He comes back and we get the the quintessential shot of Batman coming back to the Batcave mm-hmm. and bats flying everywhere and the bats chittering. Yeah. I loved that sound mm-hmm. and I kind of geeked out about it. I think I had you rewind it so I could you listen to really it. You got really into the, the little chittering sound. I did because normally when you hear bats chittering i guess that's the word i'm going to use bats chittering because they don't chirp we're making it science. chattering screeching bat the bats chittering specifically in the bat cave normally when you hear that sound it's a little bit like skin crawly because i don't know you know it's more like a squeak it's more like yeah it's more like a squeak it is definitely very squeaky and especially an entire flock or swarm like of when them. i think bat sounds i think squeaking yes and it's, wings. it's not yes yeah, squeaking in the big leathery wing flapping mm-hmm. and it's it's not a pleasant sound but they did something to the sound design of that swarm of bats in the bat cave I, I, they brightened the tone of it a little mm-hmm. bit and actually i would have compared it more to almost a flock of birds chirping and there was a there was a brightness to that sound and and i think if i had to peg why they would have done that it's because this is our hero mm-hmm. he's done being creepy he's done being the knight he is coming home and so there's a, there's a brightness and there a brightness to that tone familiarity of, familiarity That's yes. a word i cannot say there's say a, it for a me familiarity thank you yes there is there's a familiarity <laughs> to like cuz Ooh, oh, I just drew, I just connected a couple of dots. My brain working, connected a couple of dots. He's coming home. The night is over. Uh, birds would be chirping in the morning. Mm. Songbirds. But instead, he's I coming like into that. the bat cave. So instead of birds chirping, it's bats chirping. Yep. Oh, I love it so much. Because it is, it's a, it's a happy noise. It's right. not creepy. And I, I liked, again, that, that not subversion, but that just taking, taking the expectation and turning it on its head of of taking that sound and taking what you would expect mm-hmm. and deciding nope we're not going to go that direction because this is not your average superhero quite movie. like that man putting on sunglasses in his own home <laughs> oh it was so good it was such a great conscious decision especially um i think you pointed this out to me too um 
coming into like the atrium where Alfred's working and he walks out of the shadows and he really does wince and shrink away from the light. Hmm. Maybe that's a theme in this film. It's like it's a theme in this film. Please expound on why this is a theme in this film, Cherie. Oh, man. I mean, it's from the very beginning of the film. It's bringing what's in the dark to life. Mm -hmm. It comes up all the time in many different ways. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this, too. We're going into a different production point, but color. Mm -hmm. Color red. Okay. Yes. Yes. I knew you wanted to talk about the color red specifically. So let's take this opportunity to talk about that. Why (sighs) do you love the color red so much in this movie, Shuri? At the beginning of the film, and especially the very, probably the first, I mean, most of the film, most of the film, the color red is kind of representative of his own turmoil Mm -hmm. and darkness and just the grittiness. Like, it's especially prominent. It, it, you see it so much in the beginning of the film, mm-hmm. especially when he has... I mean, it's the title card. It right. is the title card. It's, it's the, the Batman card. with a big red blur behind red. it. In red, in a lot of films, can mean a lot of things. So when you think of red, what do you think of? Generally, I, I mean, I associate red with anger. Mm-hmm. Anger and then maybe ancillary to that blood. Right. But most likely anger. It's definitely an emotional color. Red is a very emotional color. It can mean mm-hmm. love. It can mean anger. It can mean life. It can mm-hmm. mean death. Mm-hmm. It, it holds so many different things. In this film, I think it definitely is more about turmoil. Mm-hmm. It's this is anger. a very orangey red. Too. Orangey red. It, it kind of changes a lot. Like, there's even a, a scene where him and Selena are up in that tower or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have more of the orange. Mm-hmm. But that is a subset of red. Mm-hmm. So, but you see there's a play at the beginning of the film. There's red over his suit when they're having the montage sequence. Mm -hmm. And then you keep seeing red over and over again. When he goes back to his back cave, there's red on his face when he's looking at his dad and whatever. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he's angry. He's angry Mm -hmm. at um, Alfred. Yes, he does express some anger towards Alfred because we're in, we're, again, we're, we talked about this um, in part one, that we're in the, still the early days of his life. And we don't know 100%, but we do know that semi-recently he's lost his parents. Mm-hmm. And we have not, we are not yet seeing the fully if formed. We, uh, semi-recent, uh, that's. That might be a stretch. Okay, yeah, a okay, that's fair. Maybe not semi-recent, although, again, we don't know exactly which iteration of Batman this is. Right. Um, so it could have, I suppose, We know he was a child. Time. But, but we're not yet seeing the fully-fledged relationship of Bruce and Alfred just right. yet. He definitely still holds some resentment towards him because he represents the life that his parents would have wanted him to live. Right. And that's not the life that he is choosing to live at right. all. Instead, he is using... Um, his inner turmoil to fuel trying to make a difference in the city where I think he felt like his parents were cut short in Mm -hmm. trying to do so. But like, yes, hundred percent. Yes. And we see red. um, What was the other point? Oh, when he's watching Selena go through, was it iceberg lounge? Yes. In the iceberg lounge, the bathroom at the iceberg Mm -hmm. lounge is written, is, is lit with red. And she also has, what is a pink wig? Yes, a she's subset wearing a of pink red. Wig. Yes, mm-hmm. red is also important to her character. Yes, so red at the beginning of the film definitely means more turmoil, anger, just dirty, bad mm-hmm. blood. But at the end of the film, what specific time was that? Um, it's definitely in the two-hour. Excuse the paper flip that you're absolutely going to hear. I'm not editing that out. That's fine. Um, ASMR paper flip. I was on the page. It is at the two-hour and thirtieth minute. Is when he strikes that flare at the end. That's exactly what I was just thinking of. The beacon of hope. Yeah. Red goes from this anger to hope. Yes. And then it continues because then about four minutes later, you see him standing on some part of a broken down building. He's working with the police or whoever mm-hmm. and he's strapping this girl into this like gurney thing and it's going back up into that the helicopter. The helicopter, yeah. The sun beaming on him. Mm. What color is the sun? It do be red at it that point. It do be kind of red that uh-huh. time in the morning. Mm-hmm. A subset. It, it literally come. The red literally changes from anger and turmoil to hope. I love it. I love it. Honestly, this was something I really hadn't noticed. I mean, I, I definitely picked up on the color red. I don't think I would have labeled it as turmoil, probably only because I hadn't thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think I've always associated red with Batman, especially um, because of Batman Beyond, Mm -hmm. um, because Batman Beyond's Batman sigil across his chest is red. Um, I mean, think of Batman. Is Batman Beyond the one where he's standing on the building and it's like black and red on his like little poster at the beginning of the film or the... the Very possible. 
that's what I'm thinking. His so his iteration of Batman does not have a cape. It's more like a cat suit almost, and his um his ears are significantly taller and pointier. Um, yeah, you can just take take some time look up Terry McGinnis Batman Beyond. I think it's really only ever been a cartoon. I've done some yeah, research. Black and red. Yeah. 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 Um, so that I've always associated the color red with Batman specifically because of that. So I don't think that I really thought that much into it, but I guess if I had, I would have realized, well, I shouldn't be making that parallel because this is not Batman Beyond. This is our traditional Batman. So Mm -hmm. why are we seeing so much of the color red? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think you're completely correct because Reeves really uses red and coloring to tell, a specific story he's always using another element in the movie to convey something to us about that character's emotional state mm-hmm. and something that's really important in this movie is bruce wayne's emotional state right i don't think i ever understood more about bruce wayne's emotional state than i did until i watched this movie mm-hmm. um because I really, I really just let myself sink into this movie, let myself feel, let my heart feel what I was supposed to feel watching this movie. And, and something that I really understood is in this movie, especially, he puts himself, Bruce, specifically the character of Bruce puts himself in unnecessarily dangerous situations. Um, not just as a hero, but, but there's a recklessness to his heroism, um, especially in just deciding to jump into a uh, arena filled with water and live wires dangling towards the surface, really, especially that moment was was when it really drove me drove the drove home the point to me that I mean I don't I don't know if this is like a unpopular opinion or or if I really think that this is what Matt Reeves was trying to get across that post the death of his parents and reeling to find his place in the world bruce wayne has a death wish and i and this movie really drove that home for me that in being a hero he has no self-preservation whatsoever and and it really was i i I really think reeves used the color red to drive home that anger oh yeah of, of feeling that lack of self-preservation, the I will genuinely do whatever I have to. Well, I think you can consider, too, this Batman in general, this film, this iteration of Batman, we focus more on his emotion than we do any other Batman. Any other Batman. I, really... I would argue that, though, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight Rises, we definitely see a more emotional Batman. Yes. But it's... It, For different you... reasons, though. But... His Batman, like most of the others, are these kind of, I wouldn't say cocky bachelors, but they kind of are. <laughs> they've had they have bit... their moments. They're older, it's too. True. Right. I was going to say, they've had a little bit more time to fully embody that personality, to actually really grow up with their family's money and make some monetary choices that later define who they are, like have crazy cars that they can just crash. But the Robert Pattinson Batman, I just feel like this man was a hermit, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, I feel like he still remembers um, what it was like to be orphaned and and make choices after that where he he closed himself off from everybody including the people who were closest to him and lived in the same house as him i.e alfred Mm -hmm. um and you know we don't well okay i don't want to jump to that point yet um but thinking about the color red and and knowing what we know about bruce having a death wish um and when when i say death wish i really mean like he does not care about his own life or personal safety it, and I mean, it, it is supposed to be in a gut-wrenching way. Like, that's not a statement to be taken lightly. And if you think about it, in that scene where the DA has a bomb strapped around his neck, Bruce is talking to him He's right all up there by him. the way down to when that timer rings zero. And he does. He gets blown away. And his armor is bulletproof. It is not bomb-proof, okay? And he does. He gets his bell rung. I mean, wakes up right before he's about to be unmasked, bell rung. He did not care. He just wanted answers all the way up to the timer hitting zero. And explosion is what color? Red. Reddish. Red, red, reddish, orange-ish. red, orange. But still, there, there's definitely some some red tinges in there that are really important. And I'm, I'm, I think I noticed that 
while red is definitely used to convey his his anger and inner turmoil, I think the color red is also used to convey when he feels the most emotion. And sometimes that's even positive emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really when he is the most emotionally invested. Um, Going back to talking about him talking to Selena through her contact lens in the Iceberg Lounge bathroom, that's tinged red. Mm -hmm. And... He has already, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite things, and I think one of your least favorite things right now, but the romance in this movie. I am a sap. I will call it right here and now. My heart is like the size of Jupiter. (laughs) And it was something... Something that I really liked about this movie. And was was it rushed? Was it cheesy? Sure. Well, was it rushed? Absolutely. But it was it was meant to be because it was meant to be I wouldn't tropey. call it cheesy, but yeah, I wasn't cheesy. Tropey. No, but it was it was rushed because it was supposed to be tropey. It was supposed to be It certainly fit the vibe of the, you know, it early was, history of that's Batman what I'm well, stuff. I'm saying it was it very much echoed the feel of those old hard boiled detective movies where the guy just immediately <laughs> oh, fell in absolutely. love with the girl. Absolutely. Let me solve your problems for you, honey. Let me tell you. Yes. Even if I don't like it. It does, in fact, fit and the And it's bill. not that I'm against, you know, Batman. Well, we've seen, we've seen, I mean, they can do some amazing writing. It's not that it was written poorly. It's that it was written intentionally. Mm-hmm. And and so we know from his brief interactions from with her, he does care about this person. And, and he calls her by her name. And when he's talking to her in the bathroom, she's telling him that, she doesn't want to do this anymore. She was just in this to help her friend. You see him be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit desperate and and want to work with her. And when she takes the contact out and she's done, um, you see him feel a little bit of pain and a little bit of loneliness. Um, and all of that was tinged red through the screens and through the contact lens. Mm. Um, and so that was, again, the use of the color red to drive home those emotionally raw moments for him which again ties into what you talked about with him finally you know making it through the water coming out alive did not in fact get electrocuted and lighting up that flare that Mm -hmm. bright red flare of hope Mm -hmm. and oh it's such a i need i need that silhouette of batman with a flare on a sweatshirt (laughs) it was just such an elegant shot especially with it reflecting off of the water Oh, I want to look up and see if that water was CG or not. I want to say we that did. it probably wasn't. I know that the water rushing in was CG. I remember we looked back and, and saw the light in the shadows and determined that the water rushing in was obviously CG. But I think that probably the scenes with the, at least the stagnant water um, where he's wading through it, those were probably real water shots. If I'm if I'm going to make a call, I'm going to say they probably were. Hollywood. Yeah, I think a big pools in Hollywood, exactly. And I also think from a rendering perspective, that flare flickering off of every single ripple of water would be a monster to render. You'd be shocked. I would a lot be of, shocked. I mean, I think we talked about this. I a know, lot of big scenes happen in the dark because it's easier to edit because it's things easier in the to dark. edit things in the dark. It, you can hide a lot of your mistakes with darkness, which you know what? That's fine with me because I would rather question: Is that CGI? Than no, one hundred percent. Like that, I was CGI. I can appreciate that. Um, since we were since we were talking about Zoe Kravitz, I want to jump into one of my other favorite elements of production: Zoe Kravitz makeup. Yes, in this movie, just first of all, do you know who they uh, contracted to do her makeup? No, Pat McGrath. Like the actual like skincare company actually has a makeup line. Pat McGrath, the Pat McGrath, was the uh, was the the lead makeup artist for this movie. Which blew my mind and made me want to go buy her foundation. I've never tried it before. Um, but she had some major intentionality. I actually, I like everything internet, that was internet black hole and was reading a whole article about all of the choices that she made for her makeup. But I, my, my favorite element of her makeup specifically was uh, Zoe Kravitz's. I would call them glitter tears. Oh my goodness. Once you pointed that out, I can't unsee it. I'm like, oh, You can't wonderful. unsee it. You can't unsee it. And so if you go back and watch the movie... Um, which you should have done before you listen to this. Which you should have done before you listen to part two, for heaven's sake. You listen to part one and two without watching the movie? What are you? Some kind of monster? Not the Batman monster, though. <laughs> Not that kind of cool monster. More like a cookie monster. Um, so if... If you watch the movie, like, look at Zoe Kravitz's makeup. She has these very intentional, um, 
pockets of, not pockets, but little drops of glitter under her eyes. And they're meant to, they, they emulate tears, just little teardrops. And I, I've talked about this so much. And if I was going to title my thesis on her makeup look, mm-hmm. I would call I would call it Glitter and the Vulnerability of Crying. Well, what is used for makeup for her is what the color red is for Batman throughout the film. Yes. The makeup shows her emotional state where the color red is typically showing his emotional state. Yes, it does. And and her makeup shows her emotional state very, very well. They definitely went with a nice moody, absolutely pun intended, they went with a nice moody cat eye. Of course they did. For her makeup. Just like the milk in her fridge. Because you, pun she intended. drinks milk. <laughs> Was it you or me who noticed that watching I it? I said, oh, pa- pause. Is that <laughs> Is milk she in the fridge? drinking milk? <laughs> She's literally taking the bottle bottle of milk. The glass bottle the of milk. The glass it's bottle so, of milk. Ugh, it's so great. So Which, on the nose. I gotta tell everyone who's listening, cats can't actually drink milk. I, I mean, they can. Just, they shouldn't. PSA, cats should not drink milk. They are, in fact, lactose intolerant. Do not give your cats milk. If your cat is currently drinking milk and you're like, my cat's never had a problem. Awesome. Your cat's one of those superhuman cats that we all know exists and is like on their 14th life and will never die (laughs) because cats are immortal. So cats are actually lactose intolerant. I don't know where that came from. I still love it. Probably farm cats, I would guess, if I had to guess at an origin to why cats drink milk. Farm cats and milking cows and everything. I just remember from cartoons. Right. I mean, yeah, in every cartoon I've ever seen, the cat's always drinking milk. I mean, go back to, like, Aristocats and everything. Um, Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry. Tom drinks milk and Tom and Jerry? I... I'm assuming that's where I learned it from. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> just, just making stuff. As up a at cartoon this point. cat, cartoon cat, he probably drank milk. I'm gonna go with it. That sounds right. Um, but yes, she drank drank milk coming out of, out of her fridge, and um, oh, I really lost my train of thought with that one. I got Tom and Jerry on the brain. We were talking about um, glitter and the vulnerability of crying. Yes, <laughs> this is the title of this mm-hmm. this thesis. Um. Cat eye. The cat eye, yes. Okay, so they went with a cat eye for her makeup, which you you can't not. Her name is Catwoman. Like, what else other makeup are you going to go with? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess you could go with a fox eye, but that would be incorrect. You have to go with a cat, cat eye. You have to go with the cat eye. So they did either. They did a very elegant, moody cat eye for her. They did go heavy with the black eyeliner, which um, that was definitely something I wanted to talk about, too, was was how makeup has evolved mm-hmm. over time with mm-hmm. movies. And I know we've talked about this. Um, I'm thinking of like 60s and 70s, like really when we transitioned out of black and white film, but did not have as great of cameras and then did not have as great of TVs that we were also going to be watching. You had to pack on the makeup because there was just, you sacrificed a lot of detail back then with the cameras and the TVs and everything. And you had to be thinking about, you know, once this gets released to VHS, how are people going to be able to see this? We were watching it on like, on like a... (laughs) A little square 10 by 10 mm-hmm. inch TV screen. You had to still be able to see these people's faces. And and so, like, especially for, for women, um, there was mascara, there was lipstick and everything, there was blush, and, and they wore makeup as if they were going out to dinner that night. It makes me think of the, oh man, I know, I know a lot of people are going to know this. I think the only person who's going to know is my brother. Oh boy. But it makes me think of, like, how caked on makeup has been and even like we even seen the elderly generation at times mm-hmm. makes me think of Mimi Bobek from the Drew Carey show you know, with she the, with had the like big blue <laughs> yes! eyeshadow yes oh my god I can't believe with someone else knows this this semi-circle of blue eyeshadow yes. oh my god oh my gosh yes that is like the quintessential like overly makeup person but you couldn't tell mm-hmm. when your tv screen was less than a foot large right. okay You're like that looks like normal like no. she's got blue <laughs> eyeshadow on what of it J- yes and I mean, I think she was. But that still, was obviously done intentionally in that show. It was show. intentional. Yes, it was. She was supposed to be overly makeup. Mm-hmm. But again, when, by the time it made it to your TV screen, you were like, eh, it's blue eyeshadow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's not much to see there. But we We've have come so far in technology. We have come so far. And I, and I think I've mentioned this to you before is I think we also kind of graduated out of the era of stage makeup, mm-hmm. which if you've ever been in like a high school production. Oh, yes. Stage makeup. Acne for days afterwards, by the way, because Burnt your and crispy skin hair. was so clogged from all of that makeup and the community sponge that they used to put everyone's oh, makeup on, by the it. way. Like, oh, let's think of the germs my skin survived. Good Lord. 
or did it? It didn't really survive. Again, I said acne for days afterwards. So, you know, that heavy makeup that was going to survive that, that lighting that was going to really wash you out on stage. There was, there was an intentionality behind it still. Was it terrible? Yes. And makeup has, like, you have to know what lighting you're going to have to know what makeup you're going to wear. Yes, exactly. So those, those stage lights, they wash you out. I remember I was wearing foundation that was like a solid five shades darker than my regular skin tone. But then if you go back and watch the DVD from it, you can barely tell Mm -hmm. because that stage lighting. so right. It turns you into an absolute ghost. And so, yes, there is definitely intentionality there when it comes to, um, when it came to makeup and that, that old makeup. And so when we were in like sixties and seventies, I feel like we were really graduating out of that. And then we moved to this era once our, our cameras got better and our TVs got better where it was, Oh no, all we can, we can all of a sudden really see all the makeup that is on our actors faces. We need to really tone it down. Mm -hmm. And then we moved into this era of like, is, is that character wearing makeup? And, and there was a very minimal, very natural, like you could barely tell if somebody was wearing mascara in a movie, especially, um, moving into the, the nineties, early two thousands in movies when everything got better. And now I think we've moved into an era where we've got the best of both worlds, Mm -hmm. um, where you could definitely tell if somebody's wearing lipstick, but it's never overdone. And you could tell if somebody's wearing eyeliner and mascara, but it's usually to convey something about their character. Um, you know, emotion and makeup, excuse me, makeup and and costuming is Mm -hmm. so intentional now. It is so intentional because we have the, the definition on our cameras and on our TVs to be able to tell. I think we talked about this too. Um, Bridgerton. Bridgerton. The clothing is not era correct. It's not specific. Correct. It is it's not... colorful. You wouldn't have had that back no, then. No, you wouldn't have and had that. And you at that. first were like, I don't like this. But we talked about it more. I was it like, did. but it fits it started to the grow on feel it of did. the show. Yes, because it was intentional. Because they did, they changed the feel of what would be true to the Regency era. Mm-hmm. And they did, just like their cast, they also made their wardrobe more colorful. Mm-hmm. I, loved it. Uh, loved it. Loved it. Took took me a second, but once I understood the intentionality behind the decision making, I was like, mm, we're here for it. We're Absolutely. Here for it. Also, I'm in love with Simon. Don't tell my husband. He knows. Who's He's accepted not it. In love with we're Simon. all in love with Simon. <laughs> and Anthony now, by the way. <sighs> could drool over Anthony all for a couple of days. Boys. I know. All dreamy. All the, the cast is dreamy. Let's be honest. The whole cast is dreamy. They did an excellent job casting. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Back on Zoe Kravitz's glitter tears, which again were intentional. Um, we know they were intentional because they're not mentioned by any character in the movie. Mm-hmm. They are not part of the script. Somebody, mm-hmm. no one goes, "Why do you have glitter on your face?" Right. Um, it like, fits the vibe of her working in a club. It's kind of outlandish. It does. Big. It does. It does fit the vibe of her being being at a club. Um, but it does something different to her character. Like you said, her makeup tells us something about her character Mm -hmm. just like the lighting does for bruce's character Mm -hmm. um because we have just like batman we've seen the catwoman character quite a few times right and remind me if i forget to talk about something here because i know we've talked about this before because i don't want to miss any of the crucial points that we talked about previously um something that has been done maybe not done to death but something that has been done in the past with the the character of catwoman is the powerful sexuality of that character. And I feel like in the past with iterations of Catwoman, um, that is definitely what they focused on. I know we've talked about this before, but like Michelle Pfeiffer, Halle Berry. Michelle Pfeiffer is so iconic. It is absolutely iconic, but overly sexual for somebody who is planning on committing crimes Mm -hmm. by the way like how can you move in a latex suit like you telling me she's not breaking into somebody's house going (laughs) like the tiny squeaky noise you get when you rub two pickles together oh my goodness (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) but i understood that reference thank you i hope everyone else did too i kind of want to keep it in there Because I didn't name drop. You did not, but I understood that reference. I did not name drop. So, um, something they definitely moved away from when we got to Anne Hathaway's uh, rendition of Catwoman. Because she was not wearing this overly sexualized, impractical Catwoman suit. Her little cat ear glasses goggles. Oh my god, they were so good. I loved those. I loved those because it was the only thing that told you... It was just the little sprinkling of this is Catwoman. Not only that, but it's like, she's intelligent. 
mm-hmm. somehow she made those or got those. She did. She did, in fact, make those or got those. And because, again, that, that is the Batman character and the Catwoman character much farther along into their careers right. of being both of those characters. So they have had time to accumulate wealth. Mm-hmm. Um in this iteration of Catwoman, she has not. Mm-hmm. Just like Bats has only been at this for a couple of years, so has Selena Kyle. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, roughly the same age, and she has not had time to accumulate wealth. We see her apartment. It's trashy. It is very much off the grid, um, low rent, probably just pays cash for rent, which would make sense mm-hmm. because she's just starting out as a criminal. You want to stay off the grid someplace right. that you can just pay cash for. And... um. So she, she's a very different version of Catwoman. It's early Catwoman that we're seeing, which we've not, again, not really seen before. Mm-hmm. And, and something that, that I really think that that choice of makeup and those glitter tears chooses to make about this version that we're getting of her is that this version of Catwoman is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I want to say that because, I mean, what do tears symbolize to you? Sadness. sadness. Or happiness. But or mostly, happiness. Mostly but sadness. for the most part, and I think in, in this movie and in the overall vibe of this movie, it's safe to say oh, that absolutely. these sadness. are supposed to indicate sadness, inner turmoil, much like Bruce. Hold on. Pause for sound. Hey, everyone. Sorry for the abrupt ending for part two. Unfortunately, due to some sound issues we were having, we had a cut early. But that being said, I'm here with your outro. So today we talked about sound design. We talked about makeup. We talked about lighting. And on the next episode, we're going to finish up with part three of The Batman. And we're going to be talking about Michael Kikino's amazing soundtrack for this film. Um, Make sure to listen in next week. Um, Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by myself. The episodes and theme are written and performed by Audrey. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your Cinematic Pulse. Roll credits.